Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1 with It's For Women, the car insurance with extra benefits like personal accident cover. Well, in the spring of 1974, my next guest, then a black Irish newborn baby, lay in her cot in St. Patrick's Mother and Baby Home in Dublin. Her mother having handed her over to the institution without family and with a congenital disability, her prospects weren't good. Her name is Marguerite Penrose and she reflects on an eventful life in her just published memoir, Yeah, But Where Are You Really From? And Marguerite's here with me in our studio six. Morning, Marguerite. Thanks so much for coming in. Good morning, Miriam, thank you for having me. I loved your book. It's a beautiful story. Um, Can I ask you first about your birth parents? You know you were born in St. Patrick's Mother and Baby Home, but what do you know of them? Yep. Um, Well, I actually know about my birth mum. Her name is Elizabeth. Um, She was born in 1945. Um, So I've recently traced some family uh, through Tulsa. So I have a little bit more information then um, in relation to her. So, yes. Um, I was born, I spent a couple of days with her in the hospital and then I spent the first three years in St. Patrick's on the Navan Road. Um, my father, um, Zambian, so he came over uh, from Zambia to the Curragh uh, with the army, uh, with the medical corps. Um, we think in 1973, to, uh, 1972 to 1973, thereabouts, and then just left in the September before I was born in January. So that's all I have there for him. And do you know how or where they might have met as a couple? Um, allegedly, they met at a dance. And okay. <laughs> um, I don't know too much at the moment. So again, I'm still digging for information on that. Now, why do you, why did your mum, do you believe, hand you over to St. Patrick's Mother and Baby Home? Um, I suppose I'll never know for sure because sadly she has passed away. Um, but back in 1974, as we can all mm. imagine, um, a single mum, um, obviously coming from a, a large family at the time. And then um, I had a lot of medical condi- conditions, as I still do now, having uh, congenital scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine. I was born without three ribs on my left hand side. So I would have had a lot of medical issues. Plus a uh, single mum. My father had already gone back to Zambia at that stage. And then obviously being black as well would have been a big controversy back then. Catholic Church. Huge influence, I'm sure, at the time um, as well. So that there's a, a probably a number of factors that happened, you know, yeah. leading me to there. I was so moved and shocked, actually, by the reject room, as yeah. it was called yeah. in St. Patrick's. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I was actually so shocked, really upset. Again, this all came out at the time of the Mother and Baby Commission um, when so many brave mothers were speaking up, um, as they still are today. And you're hearing so much... You know, I was three when I left there, so I haven't got a lot of memories, thankfully, of the time. But it's the stories. But yet the reject room is allegedly where anybody, any child with a disability, any black mixed race child was put. Um, uh, So we were separated from every other child. So, again, another controversy to add to the stigma of the mother and baby homes or mother and baby institutions, I suppose. Um, So, yeah, it's very upsetting to hear something like that. I actually only heard it just after the commission report came out and people were telling their stories mm. like myself on radio shows, you know, in newspapers. So it was another sting to the tale, shall we say, you know, from hearing those type of things. 
uh, there was a lovely young nurse, Catherine, though, wasn't there? There yeah. were great people who were great kindness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I really like blessed that she was there. She was only 18 at the time. She wasn't even a nurse at that stage. She later left and went to do nursing. Um, so, yeah, she used to care for me in the room with uh, two other kids, uh, one called Philip and one called Cara. And again, they had um, forms of disability as well. So we were together um, we're known as crib mates when you come from a mother and baby home. So, yeah, I had company in the room, but she did give us a lot of love. Um, she actually used to take me out on day trips. She was allowed to take me home at some stages as well. So I went and stayed with her family, too. So uh, there was a lot of positive and That's one thing I think as well. We have to remember there were good people working in these places as well. So everybody wasn't, uh, you know, the monster that, you know, some people were in those and when did the wonderful Penrose family come into your life? <laughs> oh, they fostered yeah. you, didn't they? They did, yeah. So I was born in 74. So three years later, my lovely mum and dad, Nolene and Michael, um, came and uh, fostered me. So originally it was coming out for Christmas. Um, I was to come out on Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, I was sick, so it didn't happen. So I actually came on Stephen's Day. So that's how it happens. That's when the magic, I suppose, uh, came. And I have a lovely sister, Kira. So I moved in with their family. And from day one, like everything was, you know, blissful. Thank gosh, you know, wasn't easy for them. You know, I was a sick child. Um, again, a black child back then. You know, you wouldn't see the likes of me around. Um, and then I suppose coming into a family for the first time, trying to blend in with a family. So um, it's a bit like now, you know, I've met... Um, some of my uh, biological family now. So it's trying to, um, it's it's not easy for people. It's a big shock, you know, and also trying to integrate into a family and not be too intrusive as well, you know. So just, but everything blends in eventually anyway. So I suppose connection, everybody connected really well and I connected so well with the Penroses and my extended family, like my aunts and uncles and grandparents and their family and friends, so... Because having had such a tricky start, the Penroses yeah. were just so wonderful. Tell me as well about, I think you were very sick when you were eight. Was that an operation that almost went wrong? Yeah, yeah, it did actually go wrong. I had spinal fusion. Um, so it's where they insert a metal rod at the base of your spine to try and straighten the curvature. So the first operation, it seems that it had gone correctly. And I did have a really, really good uh, uh, straightening of my curvature. And um, I think it was like 90 something percent, which would have been amazing. But uh, some days later, I think it was a week later, it was actually my mum, Nolene, that noticed, gosh, she hasn't moved her legs or her toes. So she alerted the nurse and the team came up, the doctors came up and um, did some tests on me that day. So it was, unfortunately, it was actually paralysed and nobody knew. Obviously, spinal fusion is done completely different nowadays. They test during the surgery uh, to make sure everything is going on. Back then, it just wasn't medically known. Um, so I had to have emergency surgery and the rod was removed. So I was left actually um, paralysed and I was in Crumlin for um, nearly a year and um, spent time there trying to rehabilitate. So I did leave in a wheelchair and the prospects of me working, walking were very slim. But thankfully, <laughs> through a lot of work and physio and, mm. you know, my parents, my sister, family and friends, encouragement and I suppose inner strength. And it was very, very hard work. But sure, here I am walking today. And I love the title of your memoir, yeah, but oh. where are you really from? Yes. Would you still get that today? Like oh. you're 100%, 100% Irish born here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even when the book was announced there in December by Penguin, the amount of messages I got from people 
saying, oh my God, I've been asked that question so many times. I actually only got messages yesterday. Still, obviously the book published um, last week on Thursday. So again, I'm getting such an influx of people saying, I have been asked that question. I know how it feels, you know. So that's like the title of the book was one of the first things that I came up with because it does resonate with so many people, you know. And people do ask it innocently as well, but there can be a lot of connotations behind that question, hence why the really is uh, emphasised. And when you were growing up, even though your Penroses, your family were wonderful to protect yeah. you, were you aware you were very different because you were black? Were you aware you were different? And did you find discrimination in different places? Um, yes, I was aware because obviously being black as well, well had a huge influence on my life and the disability too. But, you know, I remember like mum and dad, if we were going somewhere, they would always explain, like, don't be worrying if people are staring at you. But they never made it in a negative way. It was always like, because you're, you know, so beautiful looking, you know. So it was always a positive reinforcement as to why people would be staring. But again, as you get older, you know, you kind of start to cop on slowly. Hang on now. Uh, I think there's another reason that people are staring, you know. And obviously being the only black person for so many years until about fifth class, so you do stand out, you know, even though you think, oh, sure, you know, I'll wear all black and, you know, people won't notice me, which is absolutely ridiculous when I think back now. But, um, yeah, you've become very, very much aware. It's not always what people will say. It's a vibe that you get, you know, from from people. Yeah. Tell me about going through Heathrow, though, when you were young. That yeah. was an interesting experience. Yeah, you, absolutely. Mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. So I would think I was going to the States with my mum and dad. And I remember landing in Heathrow and I could not believe it. There was like so many cultures, you know, I was just in awe of this. Obviously, so many people compared to, you know, Dublin and Ireland back then as well. But it was the people, the faces, like there were so many people that looked like me. You know, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. I was, it's a, a memory I will never, ever forget. You know, it was, I was totally fascinated by it. Whereas now in Dublin and Ireland, it's amazing to see, you know, that's what I love. We've become so multicultural um, that, you know, I, I don't stand out anymore. You know, it's it's mm. it's it's that's the way it should be, but unfortunately, the racism is still rife. Considering how multi multicultural Ireland is, you know, it hasn't lessened; it's increased, in fact. Really, I yeah. was going to ask you that. Yeah. I was thinking, had we become more tolerant? Do you think not? No, I'm not saying everybody, but mm. there is still a lot of racism. You know, on where I first kind of said my first little story, um, on the Black and Irish page. If you read the stories on that, it's actually an eye opener. Um, most of the people on that page are quite young, so they're experiencing it in school, um, in in college, you know, in their everyday life. When I was growing up, there was no social media. So when I came home, there was nobody to send me nasty messages or mm. say nasty things unless it was on the road, which, you know, I hung around with friends, uh, you know, on our on our local road. So you wouldn't get it as much. Maybe if you kind of ventured off the beaten track. But now, you know, you can be targeted anywhere now. So, yeah, it is sad to say, but I think it's important that we recognise that racism does exist. It's, it's, it's in every country. So how would it not be in Ireland? Um, and to acknowledge it and to try our best to, to you know, to become anti-racist, to pass that message on. And it's important to watch the language that we use every day when we're talking to people. You know, I think it's really, really important. And sadly, Elizabeth, your birth mother, yeah. is dead. Yeah. Did you ever get to meet her? No, I no. never did, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. So, um, but, you know, you have to make your peace with it. Well, I did anyway, um, because it, it just wasn't meant to be, you know, um, I'll always carry her with me 
Um, she is my mum, you know, to me, she's my original hero. She, the sacrifices that she made, you know, to have me must have been absolutely colossal back then. So, uh, you know, I always had a love for her, you know, so that will never, never change. And you met two brothers recently, did you? Yes. Are they your mum's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, yeah. So I met them back in, um, we kind of started writing Tritulsla in November and then I got to meet them wow. in December. Yeah, so it's been amazing. It was um, good. Absolutely. We um, get on really, really well. Um, you know, they love my family. We love them. Um, so it, it's, it couldn't have gone any better. The connection that we have is it's still... We're all trying to get used to it. It's a big thing, you know. I never expected, I thought maybe we'd meet and we might have a call every now and then where it's completely like we've always been in each other's lives. So I'm blessed that their families have, um, you know, op- welcomed me with open arms. It's very difficult circumstances to come into a family, you know, even being a sister. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't easy for them or for their families either, you know. So And I still have, you know, family members to meet. So I, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Do you think you'll ever go seek out your dad, your birth dad? Absolutely. Mm. I'm working on it currently. And so that was part of the process. So through working with tools, I had the most amazing. I do have the most amazing caseworker, Margaret. Um, So we said we concentrate first on the Irish side. Um, So now it's obviously um, on Zambian side, a little bit harder because of the distance. But and again, you know, through resources, tools are, you know, heavily uh, under understaffed like everywhere so it is very slow and um, there is a lot of you know things about Tulsa that I wouldn't agree with but in my case in relation to you know finding my brothers finding my family and um, Margaret has been great for me you know it's a very very slow process like to get to where I am today it's three years and um, so that's a long time. I love live radio. Do you remember you spoke about Catherine, who was yeah. very kind to you? Yeah. So we just got a text. Good morning, oh. Miriam. I had the pleasure of looking after Marguerite as a little oh, wow. toddler in the nursery of St. Patrick's home. She was a dote and I was <laughs> mad about her. I used to take her home and on trips. Uh-huh. And if it had not been, I was only 19 at the time and single, yeah. I would love to have adopted her. We've now reconnected and I've been in touch with her ever since. She's a wonderful young woman. Oh, That's thank brilliant. you, Catherine. She's amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. well done. Well, your book, it's a wonderful read. It's a member, it's called Yeah, But Where Are You Really From? It's published by Penguin, Penguin and it's available absolutely. now for everyone. Yeah. Margaret, I'm so glad your life turned out so well in the end. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, thank you today, Miriam. Yeah, fantastic, Margaret. Thanks. Well, that's it from us for this morning. The programme was produced by the series producer Cora Ennis. Dave Gibson was in sound and Taryn O'Sullivan was our broadcast coordinator. Have a lovely Sunday and chat to you next Sunday. Until then, Sloan.